Well, good morning, Chapel Hill. It's good to be with you this morning. I told Daniel on his way up, I said, I hope you had your Wheaties today, Daniel, because you're lifting the big boy pulpit today, because we got the big boy in the pulpit today. <laughs> it's good to be with you today. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Gunner, one of the pastors here, and it is just a, a treat to be in the pulpit this morning. Usually I'm back there singing with these folks and to be able to hear their beautiful music. Don't we have a wonderful music team here at the church? We are blessed. We are blessed. I'm looking forward to continuing our journey today in the book of, anybody know? First Peter. That's right. We're just cruising through this letter. Today we're continuing in chapter 2. And without further ado, our passage begins with these words. Servants, be subject to your masters. Can we say that together? Servants, be subject to your masters. And from these first few words, actually the first word alone, we get the theme of our text today. And it's this, work. We're going to be talking about work today. And you may be wondering, what does being a servant have to do with my work? Where's the connection there? Well, in the time of Peter, servants were the workforce. In fact, if you were a Roman citizen, chances are you hardly ever had to lift a finger because that's what the servants were there to do. And it kind of blew my mind this, this last week reading about the servant class in the Roman Empire to find out that a third of all of the Roman population were slaves. A third of them. That's 60 million people who were enslaved. And these folks were the workforce. They're the ones who worked in a variety of industries. Not just labor jobs. They were doctors and lawyers and teachers and business people and all sorts of different jobs. And so when Peter writes to servants, I think we could actually replace that word with the modern term, employee. So Peter today is addressing everyone who works. So let's find out what the Lord said through Peter. Uh, if you want to open your Bibles, anybody that still has an old school Bible with them, good on you. First Peter chapter 2, verse 18. And if you don't have a Bible, maybe pull it up on your app. Here's what God wrote through Peter. Servants, we just read this. Be subject to your masters. How? With all respect. Not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing. In the sight of God. For to this, that whole suffering for unjust things in a gracious way, all of that is what you've been called to. Why? Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Here's how he did that He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but you've now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We believe that this is the word of the Lord, and so we say... Thanks be to God. Father, would you teach us from your word this morning? Spirit of God, would you use the word of God 
to make us more like the Son of God. For we pray it in his name and God's people said, Amen. All right, let's dig into this. The big idea of our passage today and of our message is this. The way that we work is our witness to the world. Lots of W's. Let's see if we can say it together. The way that we work is our witness to the world. I think this can be a little bit challenging for us to understand as believers for one reason or another, because for many of us, we feel very comfortable being Sunday-only Christians. It can be difficult to not just be a Sunday morning Christian, but also a Monday morning Christian. And this has been kind of comical for me to observe over the years working in ministry, because inevitably I get to meet first your Sunday morning persona. And let me just tell you, your Sunday morning personas are lovely. They're wonderful. You're all wonderful people. Uh, But inevitably, sometimes I find out that the Sunday morning person doesn't really align with the Monday person. I think that can be true for many of us. I remember uh, one woman that served in our worship and tech ministry at a previous church in a land far, far away. Uh, So you'll never be able to know who I'm talking about. This woman's name was Karen. And if you are up on pop culture, you'll know that to be a Karen has become sort of a derogatory term, which I think is a real bummer because I know some wonderful Karens. Some of you are here. One of you's right there. So (laughs) let me just apologize on behalf of humanity to you if your name is Karen today. Uh, We are sorry for all that you've had to endure as your name has been co-opted for evil. (laughs) But this woman's name was Karen, and she was one of those wonderful Karens that I got to know in the church. She was faithful and kind and considerate and overall just a joy to work with. There was one uh, morning when my dad came to church, and he was visiting just to to support me and to, to worship. And he said, you see that woman over there? Is her name Karen? And I said, yeah, yeah. Oh, how is it to work with Karen? Oh, she's faithful. She's kind. She's considerate. Overall, just a pleasure to work with. Oh, well, that's good to hear because she just happens to be one of the worst women I've ever had to work with in my life. It turns out that Karen was a purchasing agent for one of the companies my dad interfaced with, and she was not the same Karen as she was on Sunday mornings. Unfortunately, on Monday mornings, Karen was quite the Karen. That's right. Friends, this isn't the way that it should be. There should be an alignment. We should be Christians just as much on Mondays as we are on Sundays. And so Peter reminds us of that, that the way that we work is our witness to the world. Now, what does that mean? Well, we're going to unpack this big idea in three points. The purpose of our work, the principles for our work, and the power for our work, all from 1 Peter. Firstly, the purpose of our work. If we're going to live out our faith in the workplace, we need to know why God has created work in the first place. And to find that, we have to go back a little ways. We have to go back to the beginning of this section, firstly, in 1 Peter, where Peter writes in chapter 2, verse 12, these words, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. He's talking about all non-believing people. He's using that term Gentiles loosely. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, it's a when, you should be counting on that, they may see your what? Good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What is the point of your work? To do good and to glorify God. Why? Why? so that we might be God's witnesses to the world. 
This is the call of Peter's letter as a whole. Do you, do you actually remember who Peter wrote this letter to? He wrote it to people in all sorts of regions, but it's to the elect exiles of the dispersion or the diaspora. What this means is that God has specifically chosen us, that is elect, to be his witnesses in a foreign world, that is exiles, and he's spread us out in various places of work to represent him in that dispersion, elect exiles of the dispersion. Here's the moral of the story, folks. God has uniquely chosen you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and he's placed you in your place of work to be his witness. Wherever you work, whatever you do, whomever you work for, whether you're paid or it's volunteer, you are God's chosen representative in your workplace. That's the purpose of your work. You are there to do good and to bring God glory. I think this could all be summed up in what Jesus taught when he said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. This could be the mission statement of Christian work. We're to go to our workplace and do such good, God-glorifying work that God has put on display and people benefit in the end. In fact, this was God's plan for us from the very beginning. And that's why we don't just need to go back to the beginning of this section in 1 Peter or the beginning of Peter's letter. We actually have to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, the beginning of time. Where in Genesis 2.15, it says that the Lord God took humanity, the man, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. In other words, God positioned humanity to be his representatives to cultivate and care for the world he created. God said, let there be work, and there was work, and it was good. Okay? God's plan was to create work. Work came before the fall. But we know that that's not how the story ends, right? Because we messed it up, as we are so wont to do. Our first parents sinned against God, and as a result, we incurred a curse. And one of those curses in Genesis 3 is upon your work. This is why work is hard. This is why work is a struggle. This is why there is such things as workplace abuse and discrimination and fear of reprisal and unjust pay and inner office gossip, and the list goes on and on. The reason that your workplace is so much work is because of sin. The workplace is a broken place because of the fall. Peter actually describes this kind of brokenness in our passage because the servants for, or excuse me, the masters for whom these servants worked were not very pleasant people all the time. Far from it. Peter acknowledges that some of these masters were unjust. Unjust translates the Greek term skaliois. Can we say that together? Skaliois. It's a wonderful word. Skaliois is the word that we get what from? Scoliosis. That's exactly right. And it literally in the Greek means crooked. You getting the point here? These servants had to bear up the mistreatment of crooked, perverse, evil masters. People who unfortunately treated them like the property they were considered to be. We can unfortunately face similar circumstances, friends, to those in Peter's day. As William Barclay puts it, it is still possible to treat people as things. And this is the brokenness of our work. This is how sin has marred God's good purposes. 
But once again, I'm here to tell you this is not where the story ends. Why? Because of Jesus. In Jesus, God is creating a new humanity to reverse the curse. Jesus is forming a people who participate in God's good plan to change things around. As Peter puts it, it's a people for his own possession that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen? This is the purpose of your work. This is why you get up in the morning. Our work is a witness to God's work that he's doing in the world through Jesus Christ. When we bear up under the worst of circumstances and we still choose to put God on display in our attitudes and we still choose to benefit humanity in our actions, we are living out the purpose for which we were created, the purpose for which you were put on planet Earth. So what if we viewed our work this way? What if we were truly Monday morning Christians, not just Sunday morning Christians, who sought to participate in God's good plan to reverse the curse? What if we looked at every email and every task and every project and every meeting as an opportunity to participate in God's work of witness? Let your light so shine before men that we may do good works and they'll see them and glorify our Father who is in heaven. So what's the purpose of our work? To be a witness by doing good for others and bringing glory to God. Looks like practically. Well, that's where we get to point two, the principles for our work. In other words, how should we look different as believers? How should our work take on a different form? And so we want to ask our text, how do I live out the purpose of work in my day in, day out, Monday through Friday, nine to five plus context? That's what I want to know. So tell me, Peter. Well, he does. Two principles. First, practice submission. Can we say that together? Practice submission. We'll pick up uh, in our passage, chapter 2, verse 18, right at the beginning. Servants, what? Be subject to your masters with all respect. Uh, This is carrying down the theme from verse 13, which we learned about last week. And submission, you may be surprised to find out, was actually considered to be a church discipline, a a spiritual discipline in the life of a believer. It's a way that we practice our faith. Richard Foster defines submission this way. It is the ability to lay down the terrible burden of always needing to get our own way. Laying down the terrible burden of always needing to get our own way. I think this is the root of many, many problems in our workplaces. We want our way, and we want it now. And if we don't get it, we're not very pleasant to be around. Unfortunately, there are many times when we make minor issues major. We make non-essential matters essential. We make our way the highway. The practice of submission is letting go of all of that and enjoying the freedom of knowing God's authority in and through other human beings, even the ones that we struggle to get along with. It's not an easy thing to practice, to be sure. But God has called us to practice submission. Secondly, the other principle is found in verse 19. For this is a gracious thing. This is a chorus. This is a grace to you. When you are mindful of God and endure sorrows while suffering unjustly. I love that little phrase, mindful of God. This is principle two. Practice 
the presence of God. This is the age-old practice of making your work your prayer and your prayer your work. It's being so aware of God's presence in your life that you bring every interaction, every consideration, every decision into God's presence. And so when we suffer in the workplace, which we will, when we submit ourselves to our leaders, which we should, it requires us to have a greater dependence upon God. Did you know that's the definition of prayer? Dependence upon God. It's saying, God, I can't do this myself. I need you. I'm dependent upon you. I want to bring you, God, into every problem, every project, every plan. I want to bring all of that to the throne of grace and watch you, God, show up in powerful ways. The believer's battle is always fought on their knees. The believer's battle is always fought on their knees. There are so many problems that we try to address in our flesh And we try to accomplish our own goals by saying a lot of smart things and maybe even trying to manipulate a little bit. What an utter waste of time. When you can come to the person who has complete control over everything in the created universe and say, God, would you help me with this? And you know what he says a lot? Sure, I'd be happy to help you with that. And yet we just continue on in our own strength. What a waste. Let's think about what this would look like for us. What if we were to practice the presence of God and make all that we do in work a prayer to him? What if we were to practice submission in the way that we relate to others at work, laying ourselves down for them, and particularly following the lead respectfully of our leaders? What would that look like? How could that impact our work culture and our co-workers for Christ? As you consider that in your own life, it may be helpful to hear some examples from others in our church family who have sought to live these principles out. And so we ask them to to share a little bit with us. Uh, Let's take a look. I'm not bashful about telling people that I am a follower of Jesus. And I'm trying to commit my life to do things the way he would have instructed me. Uh, Examples of that might be praying uh, before a meal. So it's been my practice for so many years to pray before a meal even when I'm with people who don't know Christ, I just ask them to pause for a second and ask me, would it be okay if I could uh, give thanks for a meal? And then uh, another way is uh, practically uh, that I've used has been to uh, offer to start a Bible study with uh, maybe one other uh, believer in our group. And so that has worked out really well over the years. And those little groups of two or three have grown into larger groups at the workplace. And I sought the permission of my employers in all of those cases. And so, again, uh, making sure that we honor our employer, I think, is a great way to do that. Uh, Thirdly, for me, has been uh, when you get to know the people that you either work with or leave, you get to know that they're hurt and that they have various issues that are affecting them. And I found it uh, helpful to say, may I pray for this situation? May I um, help you in some way? And then I think the most important thing about that has been not only to pray for them, but it's also to follow up with them and ask how that situation is evolving. So that just shows to me that you are caring for people just like Jesus would ask us to do. I'm a hairdresser and I have opportunities all the time. Just with the different questions I ask my customers leads to opportunity all the time from the music that's playing in my salon to the moments I get to pray for them, encouragements and things like that. And so every single one of my customers 
knows I'm a Christian, whether they believe in Jesus or not. Recently, just really recently, like last week recently, uh, a member of our team suddenly passed away. It was a, a shocking moment because she was a young, vivacious person who was very encouraging to others and, and very a good example for everyone. So it was a bit of a shock to the team. And so I took that opportunity to reach out to our leadership and just let them know that I was thinking of them and that I would be praying for them. And so I actually took the opportunity to say those words in a, in a kind of a big workplace like that. It's a little bit dangerous to be careful to say things like that. So. I went by, but I thought it was from my heart, and that I wanted to reach out and let them know that we cared about them, and we wanted the very best to them, and we're praying for them and their families. Yeah, I've seen God at work through hardship in, in many ways of my life, um, particularly within the workplace. Um, coming out of college, I was entering into, again, another financial services space where um, pay was probably under underpaid. Um, I was working very long hours doing some um, difficult tasks, if you will. Um, and, and coupling that with me coming out of you know, university and being probably a little bit prideful, um, it was a, a recipe for disaster. And so through that, I, I was humbled. Um, I think God opened up that window of opportunity to, to put me there, um, to, to teach me, to grow me, um, and to make me into to who He has designed me to be. Um, and through that hardship and through the you know, unjust hours and through my pride um, and him knocking me down a couple of rungs, it then opened up other doors and windows of opportunity um, to really just become reliant on him and the plans that he has for me. Um, not so much my plans, you know, Tanner had his ideas of what life should be, um, but God, God quickly changed those and now has led me in a direction of what I'm now doing today. And um, I praise him for that and give him all the glory. So how about you? How about you? How is God, you may just ask God as you're sitting in the pews today, God, how are you calling me to be a witness wherever I work? How can I live out these principles of practicing submission and practicing the presence of God? What would that look like for me, Lord? I think it's helpful to hear examples from other people because it at least simplifies and brings some of this down to earth. But just because these principles are simple doesn't mean that they're easy. And that's why we need power. We need power week in, week out, day in, day out, to be able to put these things into practice. And that leads us to our final point today, the power of our work. In other words, where does the motivation and inspiration come to fulfill our purpose and to live out these principles at work again and again? Where can I find the power for work? I think that the answer to that question is the same every single time. It's the Sunday school answer. It's Jesus. Jesus is the power for our work. It's the gospel. It's knowing Jesus, emulating Jesus, trusting Jesus. That's where we find the power to walk out these principles and fulfill God's purpose. And so Peter introduces us, finally, to who Jesus is to us in our work. Peter shows us that Jesus is our example. Verse 21, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you a what? An example. So that you might follow in his steps. In other words, it empowers us to know that there's one who has gone before us and lived these principles out perfectly. 
that Jesus, when he accomplished the greatest work on behalf of humanity for God at the cross, that he was that example for us. That was the work of God on our behalf when Christ faced unimaginable suffering and still perfectly practiced the principles of work like nobody else. How so? Verse 22. Well, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. This is while he was hanging up on that cross for you. When he was reviled, when he was smacked across the face, when he was spat upon, we're going to be honoring all of this in in several weeks to come on Good Friday. When Jesus went through that for you, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. What did Jesus do? He practiced submission and he practiced the presence of God. Even as he hung on that cross, he was not going to speak one ill word against his leaders. That just blows me away. The kind of sacrifice, the kind of love. The fact that he was there and he prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was praying that for his leaders the very ones who chose to hang him on that cross. And so to follow Jesus in our workplace means to become more like him by following his example. But Jesus isn't just our example. We're told that he's also our Savior. We read on that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Jesus alone is Savior. There are so many of us who have looked to our careers to bring us the salvation that Jesus alone can bring us. And this is why so many people, when they start retirement, they stop existing. This is why we become shells of ourselves. It's because we don't have our satisfaction in the only one that can actually bring us that satisfaction. We've built our lives on things that are passing and worldly. Those of us who are older need to take heed of that and cling to the gospel. Those of us who are younger need to be sure you don't do that. Your career did not die for your sins. Jesus did. And he alone did. Your career can be just like any other idol in your life that says, I'm going to do all these wonderful things for you. And you go, yeah, that sounds wonderful. And then it just disappoints. Because every idol is going to make you die for it, not the other way around. Jesus died for your sins. And in the end, when you make him your savior, he's the one who's satisfied. I'm here to tell you the good news of great joy, that you can be set free from all that garbage. When you realize that Jesus was the one who died for your failures and rose for your vindication. You don't have to prove yourself in your career anymore. Stop trying to prove yourself in your career. Jesus already did that for you. Every failure that you make in your career, Jesus died for. Every success that you have in your career is because Jesus empowered you to do it. And in the end, it's all been accomplished for you. You have absolutely nothing to prove to anybody. Not even yourself. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our example. And finally, Jesus is our leader. Verse 25, the final verse. Thanks for sticking with me. For you are straying like sheep, but you have now returned to the who? Who is this? Shepherd and overseer of your souls. Those two words describe how Jesus is our leader. 
Put another way, Jesus is your boss. Jesus is your boss. He's in charge. When you go to work, you don't ultimately work for the people you work for. You work for Jesus. And he's a gracious leader. He's the best leader. And it's so empowering to know him as your leader because he's the leader you've always longed for. No employer can provide for you like Jesus. No boss will give clearer direction and support than Jesus. And Jesus always will coach you with truth and grace. Knowing Jesus as our boss means we no longer need to live for human provision, human direction, human approval, because all of that is found in Jesus. Amen? Jesus is our example. You're clapping for Jesus. (laughs) That's who he is to you. Doesn't that just give you life? This is the gospel. This is the Christian life. I'm here proclaiming it to you with passion because God wants you to hear that all the other vain things that you're living for are an utter waste of your time. Jesus is everything. And when you go to heaven, Jesus will be all to you. So make him all to you now. I'm preaching to myself right now. Stop making your career an idol. Jesus is better. Jesus is always better. He's your example. He's your savior. He's your leader. This is the gospel for your work. So every single time you get up in the morning, you got to remind yourself, I don't live for my career. I live for Jesus. I'm not following anybody else's example primarily. No, I'm following Jesus. I want to be more like him. He's in charge of my life. So the question is, will you give your life completely over to him? Will you trust him and love him and follow him more than yourself, more than your career, more than anybody who's an authority over you? Because Jesus alone is worthy of your devotion. And when you commit your life to him, he empowers you to live out the principles and purpose for which you were put on earth, to be a witness. The way that we work is our witness to the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let us pray. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, we come to you this morning asking that you would cultivate in us the character of Christ, that he would be our example that you grant us grace to practice these principles. And Lord, we seek you this morning as the only one who can give us power. And so I just want to give a moment here as we prepare to close with our final hymn and just ask that you, Holy Spirit, would search our hearts and grant us the grace of repentance. Show us where we've made our career our idol, our money our idol, our work, our idol, other people's perspective on our work, our idol. We confess that this morning to you. We ask for your forgiveness, Jesus, you who hung on the cross of Calvary to pay for all our failures. And we ask that by your resurrection power, we may live a new life. We offer our lives back to you and we ask for the grace, Lord, to make our work our witness for you, that you may be glorified. For we pray these things in Jesus' name.
Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington, 98335. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10.30 a.m. We'd love to meet you. To learn more about Chapel Hill and find out about upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.